it's probably a good time to roll the intro and get started on this thing. Here we go. Ready? Let's Three, go. two, one, go. All right, so hey everyone, happy Friday! Welcome to episode 114 of the Digital Cash Rundown. It's kind of crazy to, to think that I've been doing this for 114 weeks straight, pretty much. Uh, I'm joined That's by awesome. the one and only Lorenzo Ray. How's it going, man? Hey, everyone! Very nice to be here again. Uh, always happy to talk to you, and I think it's going to be a fun one. Yeah, this is definitely a <clears throat> a bring the heat kind of thing because I, you know, obviously I just. I invite people I want to talk to on, and this one happened to coincide with some interesting times, as they're known. So definitely, ha- this is one of those times when, like, the guest and the the news du jour like synced up really well. I think. Um, but so anyway, definitely. this is uh, we're mostly going to be talking about Bitcoin scaling and the whole thing going on. So if you have any questions or comments or anything, make sure to throw them in the live chat. If you're in my discord, you have one of my NFTs, which are pretty cool. Go to the digital cash rundown channel and type them in there. and I'll put them up on the screen because uh, try to be interactive. Cause this is quite the, uh, this is going to be quite the interesting chat. All right. So let's start with, um, first things first, um, number go up but a certain kind of number <laughs> that maybe not everyone wanted to. So I look, I'm here at um, the bitcoinfees.info or whatever, the Privacy Pros fee estimator. And it says the next block fee for a Bitcoin transaction right now, it says it's $13.25. Three blocks is eleven fifty four, and six blocks is nine eighty nine, which is pretty expensive. It's not, yeah. it's never, <clears throat> it's not, absolutely horrendous but it's bad i would call it you know bad or expensive it's pretty insane for most people definitely yeah and then on this next thing the bit info charts of the average fee which median is more accurate for like a typical transaction i'm just trying to show the 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 peak here um yeah as of like the end of april it was like average fee was like about a dollar and then if you look into these last few days so average fee peaked on the um the eighth which is what four days ago at it says 31 dollars and 14 cents i saw a next block fee estimator thingy of like 46 or something i don't know how how high it got for that but it got pretty high it got to like oddly enough bull market levels like peak bull market blow off levels in kind of what i was 2017 uh at one time it was like 50 dollars you know 2017 yeah, I think it might have been even like what's the all time. Um, the all time highest average in 2021 was 62, 21. Okay. And then in 20, uh, 2018 or like the very beginning of 2018, 2017, I should say. Yeah. It was got up to ending 2017. 65. Yeah. There you go. So it's gone. It's got pretty high, and um, so first of all what's as pro- as probably the clearly the more active bitcoin user than of the two of us um what's kind of your perspective on all that happening yeah that, that, that's a very good question so um in 2017 i saw these fees and i said this is unacceptable and that's why i started uh you know using using other cryptocurrencies my journey with bitcoin was i started bitcoin 
only when 2017 happened and I said, hey, this is bullshit. I started doing deal with our cryptos and eventually I came back to Bitcoin. Um, so this time I was expecting these fees to rise. So here's the way I see this. There is no way to avoid fees to rise. They're just going to rise eventually. And so when I look at the situation, I say, okay, would I rather have fees go up when, I don't know, Brazil's economy goes down and everyone's trying to buy Bitcoin? Or would I rather have this stress test while some DGENs are minting NFTs? I'd rather have it with the NFT. So for me, this is a positive thing because yeah. at the end of the day, if Bitcoin is going to scale with L2s in some way, then when Bitcoin fees are low because usage is low, uh, scale lightning companies and stuff are not having a hard time. They, they don't have to solve problems fast. And so they get seven years to try everything. But when they're being pressured, this is when that kind of scalability is tested. And so what better test that, than a test that is not really as uh, problematic of, as a country's economic system collapsing or something like that. I think this, for me, this is a stress test for Bitcoin. And this will let us know if actually, you know, uh, Lightning Solutions can provide the service to protect people from these situations. And so the way I see it is this. Let's say these NFTs didn't happen or any of this happened. If Bitcoin is going to be adopted worldwide, there's going to be more people wanting to do transactions that they fit in a block. And that's why Satoshi created, uh, you know, the block size limit so that people have to, are priced out of the block. And so if we're not going to do any hard forks and we can have that conversation, but I'm talking under the framework that hard forks are prohibited, then we need to uh, develop the L2 solutions so that next time this happens, people are protected uh, in some capacity. And so I, I do feel the pain of people out in the streets and especially, you know, Salvador people also had those problems where they're trying to, you know, withdraw or whatever. Unfortunately, a lot of people still use on-chain. I think the one of the main reasons people mainly use Bitcoin on-chain is because most people use custodial solutions on exchanges, and most exchanges do not use Lightning. And so people don't give a fuck. Like hmm. uh, With USDT, I see people in Venezuela all the time. USDT has like six networks on Binance <laughs> that you can with, that you can withdraw in, and people don't even consider the implications of those networks. People are just going to use the cheapest options they get. Yeah, people are going to flock to whatever saves them money, even if they don't understand it. And so I think one of the one of the things that I don't agree with with people who you know uh, use only the low fee uh, argument against Bitcoin is that there are a million things that are, have low fees. That doesn't mean those things are better than Bitcoin. So which one, just because something has a low fee, doesn't mean it's a good alternative for Bitcoin as a whole. It might be a good alternative for you to do a specific transaction right now. Yes. But does it really mean that it's better than Bitcoin? Like Zelle has no fees or, mm -hmm. you know, uh, you know, Zelle, the bank of the bank of uh, yeah. yeah, U.S. banks, you know, payment network or whatever. That's what everybody uses in Venezuela. Like uh, before Binance took over, and even still today, people in Venezuela use Cell. 
There are companies who create Bank of America accounts in the U.S. and then they provide emails to people in Venezuela so that they can use Zelle. It's the preferred payment network for dollars in Venezuela. Mm -hmm. It has no fees. So is that better than Bitcoin? I don't think it is. Yeah. Well, that's a something that I definitely agree with in this case is I like the stress test idea because uh, all these things that are, they are nothing without context like what is bitcoin it's nothing it's absolutely nothing without the context of what it is of why you'd need it and so it kind of reminds me of well, one of the reasons why of all the i guess i guess you could call it like traditional martial arts brazilian jiu-jitsu did the best in the modern era is because it had a very strong emphasis on rolling on pressure testing on you just do whatever like free form do whatever works and then all you just can't hit him in the head but then there's also the um, the old saying of if you take a black belt and you punch him in the head, he becomes a brown belt. You punch him again, he becomes a purple <laughs> belt. Again, he becomes a blue belt. And one last time, he's back to a white belt. And it just like <laughs> the pressure is what makes things kind of work. It's so um, it. I do think like that. This I kind of am interested in these stress tests, whether they're digital or not. Right, these stress tests as a way of finding out what happens, right? And some people might view more as like, well, let's hope that they make Bitcoin stronger. But yeah, I guess, but I'm more interested in just seeing what happens because, uh, for example, one thing I thought was kind of interesting is, first of all, people say like, oh, you know, just use, you know, just use Lightning, that kind of stuff. Over the last couple of years, the Bitcoin fee, I don't know if it's a couple of years, but yeah, around a couple of years, the Bitcoin fees have been what I would call reasonable, like 10, Pretty reasonable. 10 cents, 50 cents, yeah. 20 cents, 10 cents on Bitcoin on chain. Who's yeah. adopting Lightning when you can pay 10 cents on chain and all exchanges do on chain? That's why people, that, I, I, I don't think this is an excuse for Lightning mm -hmm. uh, companies, but I do think that without this kind of pressure, it's much more harder for people to try and use Lightning. Where, come on, bro. I've been using on-chain for years. It's 10 cents. Shut the fuck up. I don't need Lightning. Oh, yeah, when this happens, now they're going to be trying those Lightning wallets. Let's see what happens now. And kind of my favorite, um, and it, uh, one thing is very clear, in the current state, the way Lightning works, the market has kind of decided that the user experience is not as good as on-chain. And so at, a, at that price level, if it's low enough, people are just going to use on-chain. And one thing, yeah. I, one of my favorite kind of examples of this, this era, the first wave of like lightning adoption type thing is the moon wallet, because the moon wallet is essentially an on-chain wallet that it is. La that LARPs as a, <laughs> as lightning, a lightning wallet. wallet and the fees were low enough that no one under no one got it they're like look i'm using lightning like, yeah. kind of like and that's can only work during that environment like i don't know how moon is going to survive in the future i think they'll have to do something very different you i know? don't understand why they don't just do lightning like i don't understand the whole swap at, uh, submarine why are they doing that? There are good Lightning wallets out there. Like right now, there are actually good mm -hmm. non-custodial Lightning wallets. Uh, the best user experience Lightning wallets are custodial, no question. But mm -hmm. a year ago, I couldn't say I personally, because I use Lightning basically every day. I pay mm -hmm. for most of my things here. I live in, on Bitcoin. I actually created a series called 
viviendo con Bitcoin, living on Bitcoin, mm -hmm. where all I do is live on Bitcoin, not only here in El Salvador, but in multiple countries, and I show people, you know, different, similar to what you do. I, I, mm -hmm. I, I kind of, you know, uh, do something similar. So uh, I use Lightning all the time, and I mostly, over the past two years, use custodial Lightning wallets. And so is that a contradiction? It's not because the majority of my Bitcoin is not in custodians. And so I just mm -hmm. send a specific amount to my Lightning custodial wallet. And because it gave me the best user experience, I use that. Now, a few months ago, I started using the Phoenix wallet again. And I really like the Phoenix wallet. And it gives me my 12 word seeds, non custodial, whatever. Um, now, it, I, it, that, that wallet is not running Lightning notes for me. I'm still relying on uh, those notes are being run by other people, but at least I can. Uh, uh, trustlessly move my Bitcoin in or out of that. I mean, they mm -hmm. cannot take my Bitcoin. I also run my own Lightning node, and I have this SUS, SUS, right? Is the way you yeah, say this it. wallet. This, I have the SUS wallet, and I connect that to my own node. I've been doing payments with that as well. It just takes a little bit more time for it to connect to my nodes. It's kind of annoying where I open yeah. it up. Hey, it's connecting to your node, so it connects, and then you pay. I've used that, but the mm -hmm. user experience is not as good. Yeah, but uh, in any case, it's just something that uh, I don't understand why Moon Wallet continues to do this on-chain uh, Lightning lookalike thing, and I don't understand why is that wallet even so popular. Like people say, it's so easy to use. Come on, bro, it's the normal. I, I yeah. think there's a lot of wallets that are easier to use than Moon. Well, I I have not used Moon myself, oh, but okay, it seems like I have used Phoenix. I wouldn't. S extensively i guess you could say extensively like dozens and dozens of transactions over months uh and phoenix works pretty well there's some annoying things like sometimes you receive they're like we're gonna charge you this much to like open a channel or, and then i sometimes i send to someone and it's or i try to send somewhere and it wants to just open up a new channel i'm like what you have the largest node in the entire lightning network pretty much like you can't there's no path to like bit refill yeah. i mean i think i don't think it was bit refill but it was something else i'm like ah, whatever there's some annoyances but mostly it works like a slightly clunkier and more expensive like on-chain wallet like on-chain for anything else right and it, it works it's fine and i think that with moon they wanted the problem is and this is something that i'm gonna have to tear my hair out over for a long time i think is a lot of people are trying to approach lightning in bad faith i would say that there's as many people in lightning or in the bitcoin world i should say as outside of it that approach lightning in bad faith where they want to say it's like a, they want to use it as a uh, an argument like for example every time someone complains about high fees and transaction capacity they're like no it's cheap it's on lightning and then people point it out it's custodial then they're like here's moon it's non-custodial you can just send and it's like they don't care if it works or if it makes sense. They just want to be able to say, I'm using Lightning. Look yeah, how easy it narrative is. Thing, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a, so Moon is not a wallet. It's a narrative tool, which is yeah. kind of <laughs> mind-boggling. You know, and like Phoenix is what people are looking for, right? Is That's what they should be looking for is like something that's like yeah. a pretty good user experience. It's non-custodial. It kind of is pretty trusted in some ways but you know other than that you got to run your own node kind of thing but one thing i yeah. think is very fascinating is will be fascinating and so phoenix was having a lot of issues during this this time so was breeze so was all so we're all of course moon was just destroyed but like yeah all, all these 
really quick side note on Moon that I just remembered. So Jack Maulers was promoting Moon in his like famous "Look, you can tip on Twitter" type thing, and so he's not a stupid guy. And I don't like I that to me that is a bad faith move. That's like a dishonest bad faith move to be like, "Look how easy this all is," and then using something he knows is not what it is. It's kind of like I, I wish we had less of that stuff, but. Anyway, yeah. so I guess what we're going to see is because Lightning services have been, in addition to running your own node, I guess, depending if you have to redo channels, have been impacted by this. And people did not know that. So what I want to know, and we don't know yet, is what's the next step? Where is the market going to go? Is it going to find a way to improve and harden Lightning? Is it going to push more people into purely custodial solutions? Don't you touch that either network at all? I don't know. We're going to see. Yeah, that, that, that is interesting because I think this is a good moment to talk about these custodial solutions and stuff. So I've been saying for a while that everyone should aspire to have their Bitcoin non-custodially. Mm-hmm. But I've tweeted, I have some tweets from, from months ago, even more than a year ago, saying your grandma does not want to hold her own keys. Mm-hmm. And so... Now your keys, not your coins. Yes. And I'm not saying that the kind of custodians that exist right now is the way, but there is a path for moral custody. Mm -hmm. So before Bitcoin existed or whatever, you know, your ideal situation would be to have some sort of banking system where they had 100% uh, reserves, where they didn't lend your money out, they charge a fee, to provide you services, and you know that if everyone went to the bank and could retire, uh, you know, withdraw their money, everyone could. That would be like the ideal banking scenario morally for libertarians before Bitcoin or any of this. So, <clears throat> your grandma wants something like that. The, the responsibility of being responsible for your own money is something that I think. I don't want to say most people because I think most people can learn and especially if the tools get good, I think at least more than 50% of the people can own their own money, can can be responsible for their own keys. Mm-hmm. But if it's 50%, we're talking about 4 billion people who do not want, it's not about if, it, if it, they can, mm-hmm. they don't want. The stress of knowing that I could lose my own money is too much you know, pressure for them. They would rather pay someone, you know, and have somebody else custody their Bitcoin. That is a decision that when you talk to regular people, and the argument that I get against this as well, but they are used to the current banking system. If we get a world that's non-custodial, well, true, but do you really think 80%, 90% of people are going to be happy custodying their own money? I don't think so. I really think that's, that, that, that's not realistic. So... Working on uh, uh, what I think is that most people should try to do non-custodial, but I don't think custodial solutions need to disappear. I think mm. in 50 years, there will still we will still need some form of custodians. And there are people who are coming with interesting ideas about custody. So, for example, there's this Bitcoin company called Fediment. And I haven't mm. tried that myself, and there's a lot of hype around them. But I, I, I talked to, the, to, to one of the founders uh, in person, and he was explaining the concept to me, and it was kind of good because one of the ways in which people, you know, uh, safeguard funds 
especially when they're collective funds, is with multi-sig. And yeah. so I do run multi-sig wallets, you know, and I have funds that are of companies and then, you know, the different, uh, you know, co-founders, we have each one a key and that's how we keep things secure, whatever. But what if you're in your community, you can have a multi-sig wallet, but that's a hundred people. And then you kind of, you, you're not, you're not self-custodying your Bitcoin, but you and your sons and your parents and your eight people amongst all each other, you kind of custody each other. It, it's something like that. It's like a, it's like yeah. a, but Fetterman is so, sort of like, or he said something that I thought was interesting. He said, multi-sig is DIY multi-sig. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I said it wrong. He said, he said multi-sig is DIY Fetterman. That's mm-hmm. what he said. So Fetterman is sort of like an easier way of doing multi-sig along lots of people. So I don't know how custody is going to look 50 years from now. Yeah. But I know it's going to exist. And so mm-hmm. thinking that it won't, I think it's, uh, I mean, it, it's too idealistic. I don't know what you think about that. Yeah, so I kind of, I have a, I guess, a compatible, though more optimistic viewpoint on that. Okay. Definitely agree. Um, so, I mean, I, so first of all, I'm one of those few people who I don't know if I've ever lost any crypto. Well, I'm, I've, let's put it this way. I definitely have. But it's to the to- it's more like dust of some random shit coin that I just didn't even care to move over kind of thing. It's like Same that. With me. It's like it, yeah. but not actually lost. Like I, I did a couple of times. I thought I lost it, but then I realized I'd written down a seed phrase somewhere or something. Or one time I didn't have it written down, but it was on another computer, and I was like, okay, I can still get it. But uh, the biggest problem is custodial like key management setups are just completely insane. Like right now. Like they're so old, they're so non-standard and they're not figured out. And so first of all, you have in the old days, like just like the private key file of some kind. Yeah. And that's just like anyone who does like that's nerd shit. Like, no, fuck off. Like, <laughs> no, we're not doing that. And funny enough, within the last few months, I had a friend have like reach out to me to try to recover. I think it was his Ethereum because he had a paper wallet. Do you remember when paper wallets were a thing? Yeah, but like they're not they're not really a thing these days, you know? Well, I I have used them recently, yeah. but just to like for example, I gave some bonuses to some employees, so we mm-hmm. took them to dinner and then we gave them the, like a congratulations card mm-hmm. and then there was a paper wallet inside, but the idea is for them to scan it immediately, you know. Yeah. I mean, the, for that kind but of like thing as, it's cool. as a cold storage solution. Yeah, no. That no, is just insane. Yeah. It's so now. then of course we have um, you know, the the seed phrase is the <clears throat> far and away most popular one. Uh, but then, for example, you have the Edge wallet, which has its own like username and password way of basically getting yeah. the seed phrase and stuff. But that's not standard. And the way I kind of see it in the future is some, I think that there needs to be some sort of a, like, as you mentioned, like like a multi-sig, but like more as a, for a recovery mechanism, like a social recovery mechanism. Okay, where, yeah. Where you could easily assign a few people a few recovery partners kind of like with 2fa where you have you got your authenticator app you got your little um security key you got your text you got your whatever your email backup email whatever just get a a collection of those or like in order to get your thing back you need your like security key and a signature of one of your designed parties like your give one to your parents, you give one to your best friend, you give one to your spouse, you give one to your lawyer, and none of them can steal your money, but you can 
kind of get it all back with that. And so as far as self-custody, I do think people can get used to that as the norm. For example, um, cash is purely a self-custody instrument. And cash has been very popular in a lot of the world for a long time. Now, it's arguable that cash is not even self-custody because it's supposedly gold in the bank and then you have the notes but then without the gold it is a self-custody instrument yeah but and so it's and a lot of people who are really into cash who aren't germans because germans love that stuff or japanese they love it too um is older generations who remember the great depression and bank runs and they got hardwired self-custody got hardwired into their brains and so they learned and i i don't think it's that hard i mean i'm not that smart (laughs) i figured out how to self-custody uh, I think you can learn. It's just that people won't learn until they need to, but more importantly, not until things get easier. But I do agree that custody, I just, I do agree custody will always be with us. The difference is I kind of think it's the opposite end where it's instead of like, oh, you do self-custody, but then for smaller amounts, you do custodial. It's more <clears throat> for everyday money, you do self-custody but then you have some sort of like a Casa Hotel type multi-sig solution for your your like life savings because you can't trust that. That's probably the way it's going to shake out. That, that's a very interesting opinion. So with, with the example of cash, uh, I think everyone in different countries has different experiences with that, but I have never... <laughs> I know the Venezuelan experience kind of sucks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Exactly. So... From from my experience, you know, cash has never been something that people want to keep. You know, it's always something people want to get rid of. Now, people do uh, a lot of Venezuela have like a safe, and what they have is some gold there. Mm-hmm. So that, that that was definitely a thing in Venezuela. And in fact, almost every city in Venezuela, there were lots of uh, stores that bought and saw gold. You saw ads on the, on TV. Hey. We buy your gold. If you have any necklaces or whatever, we'll, we'll buy it. Mm-hmm. And things like that. And so people kind of have a safe where they have the gold jewelry and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but if, when it comes to life savings, I mean, 99% of people want to have their life savings in a bank. Because what if a, a, a robber enters my home and takes the full safe? I mean, it doesn't care. They're, they're going to you know hammer it out or whatever. But they're going to take It's my life savings. You know, like that's the kind of fear that I see when I talk to people about self custody, which is a great. But then point I think, too. yeah, it's a great point. And, and then the, but then, if it's a physical thing like cash, I think there's also a thing where I kind of more optimistic in this way, mm-hmm. as the new generations come and they grow up playing video games and they're more, you know, comfortable with owning a digital thing mm-hmm. in some capacity. But what I see for a lot of people is that. If I lose these twelve words, I lose my money forever. Like, does it doesn't make sense? It's like I don't want to deal with that risk. And so, I definitely do know how things are going to play out. And it might be a, a middle point between what you're saying or what I'm saying, or maybe you're going to be right, or maybe I'm going to. I don't know what it is. But what I do know is that today, I think that giving people a custodial good user experience of something that is sound money, it's better than keeping them in the fiat system. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I was talking to somebody the other day uh, because people like to say that Bitcoin, well, I don't think people say Bitcoin is perfect, but they kind of imply it. I say yeah. hey, Bitcoin is not perfect because what I am for is I'm fully in the 
not hard fork thing. Like if Bitcoin is going to work, which I don't know if it will, but I think it has the best chance of doing it because of network effects, original things, and that anything that uh, it's around, I I'm fully betting on Bitcoin. I think that uh, if we're not doing any hard forks, we need to figure out a way to scale Bitcoin without those hard forks. But if Bitcoin is just like gold and you have a custodial solution of gold, it's better to have a custodial solution of dollars. And so for the time being, if someone can have a good experience uh, and get introduced into Bitcoin due to a custody solution, for the time being, I don't think that's a bad thing. Mm -hmm. And so my problem with other, uh, let's say, cryptos who are low fee is that cryptos who are constantly hard forking gave me the thing, and I tweeted something about this a few days ago, is I know what happens when people have the choice of changing things. Mm. And so why are, I don't know, uh, Zcash, why is Zcash not deciding in 10 years that their security budget is in danger and their only solution is to decide to print more Zcash? Like, I don't know that. Like, could that happen? I mean, it could pro potentially happen. And people say, we're not going to do this, but then crisis comes. And when crisis comes, people get interventionists. And so what I like about Bitcoin for now, because this situation proved that that's not file proof, because mm -hmm. Bitcoin maxis were hinting about changing Bitcoin not to allow NFTs. But the reason I'm betting on Bitcoin is because if we are under the ethos that we're not going to hard fork, and we're going to figure everything out with soft forks, and we're going to figure out scaling and all this and that, as long as we do that, I am guaranteed that no one is going to print more Bitcoin. But then when the, the other cryptos say, hey, we're improving this, we're improving that, that sounds great today. We all mm -hmm. believe in some money, so we're not going to print money. But then let's say one of those cryptos is adopted, and then 20 years from now, a crisis happens, and they say our only solution is to print more. And then what we're going to do? So that's yeah. why I came back to the not let's not hard fork vote. Yeah, that's probably another three hours of nuanced discussion on that specific point. Yeah. Uh, I will <laughs> just say that, um, I don't know, even know what I'm going to just say. That's, um, there's a million places. Well, we have some stuff on like off chain scaling to other chains kind of thing in a little bit. Uh, I do want to hit on the, the Binance thing because we're talking about pressure, right? Um, yeah. So Binance tweeted out, by the way, says to, about, oh, they disabled deposit withdrawals and stuff. So, terrible like the custodial stuff becomes hotel california where you can check in but you can never leave in these kinds of situations but then they said to prevent a similar recurrence in the future our fees have been adjusted we will continue to monitor on-chain activity and adjust accordingly if needed our team has also been working on enabling bitcoin lightning network withdrawals which will help in such situations and as i mentioned earlier which I don't remember if it was on chain or if it was on chain, <laughs> if it was live or not. Um, <laughs> Freudian slip here. Uh, I don't remember if it was live or not, but I basically said uh, it kind of makes me wonder if they're just saying, "Oh, we're working on lightning," so people forget that they had pause withdrawals. <laughs> and I don't know if they're actually working on it, but we'll see. Well, I think they will, and the reason is because uh binance ha doesn't really care they have a lot of cryptos where they ha support multiple networks and they just want to give people 
and it's going to be a custodial lightning solution. I mean, they're just going to run their own lightning node with enough uh, liquidity so that they can withdraw, uh, so they can give users the ability to withdraw. Um, and so the only thing that goes against lightning is the compliance thing because, you know, lightning is more private and stuff. And so there are, uh, it's under the, the eyes of the, uh, you know, let's just call them. Uh, regulators or whatever, and so companies are scared to integrate it because, you know, Chainalysis and all these compliance companies who do the on-chain work for these exchanges so that they can operate, mm -hmm. they don't have Lightning solutions because Lightning is private or mostly private. And so I think there's a compliance risk there, but I also think that, uh, well, yeah, myself, I mean, in Chivo, we do have a Lightning solution, you know, and you mm -hmm. can work through those things. And so uh, I, I, I think they're, they're definitely going to integrate it because it, it's not a hard technical thing to do and it will give them. Uh, so this is a funny thing to say, you know, people mm -hmm. criticize Chivo, but Binance paused Bitcoin withdrawals and Chivo didn't. So yeah, that's kind of that's that's funny. That is kind of funny because um, as we're seeing from like the way the free market is taken out so far, in a lot of cases, Lightning does not make a lot of sense. However, uh, for an exchange which already has a big pot of funds together, of user funds, commingle, you know, they don't have this much in this. No, some some exchanges, I'm sorry. Most of them have like just the Binance hot wallet. Boom, here we go. Um, there's no reason why they can't just open some channels with that. You know, that's, that's not that hard. It's not like if I want to pay... You know, if I want to go around town shopping, I just don't want to manage a million channels. Open one here. Oh, that's not connected here. I got to close it. <laughs> Especially if I only have like 100 bucks to spend and 50 is in one channel and then I need to spend 60. But there's, you know, it's a nightmare. But for a big, like, exchange, it just has everyone's money together. Then they can just, you know, withdraw via Lightning. Now, of course, the difference is, will they still have to open a channel? Like, if you've never used it before, they will still have to open a channel to you to get out unless you're connected to like async and they're connected to async. And exactly. And that's the other thing, because uh, I remember years ago when people were saying that lightning isn't viable and you're thinking that you're actually going to route your payment through specific individuals and you're going to manage. If you think of lightning that way, it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work. It absolutely doesn't work. The way Lightning will scale and the way I think it can scale is with large hubs. And then people say, well, large hubs are centralization. But then I say, then isn't mining centralized? You know, when when uh, Satoshi created mining, he was not expecting pools. And it, it's, it's kind of weird because you read those posts. How didn't they anticipate pooling, you know? Like, like there's computational power. If you can join a bunch of computers together, you're going to be a better miner. Like, I, I, I don't think he didn't. I mean, I, I've heard, I've read very old posts where they are surprised that people are pooling. I think Satoshi must have foreseen this in some capacity, but there was nothing to do about it. Like miners are going to pool together. And so is uh, the reality is, and, and this is funny, the argument of a lot of people who are saying lightning is centralized when they are asked about mining they say and i agree as long as there are enough 
big miners pools competing with each other, you can, uh, you know, maintain decentralization. We don't need uh, uh, 10,000 mining pools. Mm -hmm. With 6, 10, 15 mining pools, we're good. If we have 10, 15, 20 large lightning hubs, I think we are okay. And the other thing is that when you open channels with these large pools, right now, with most custodial wallets, those wallets have your money. But if you think of Lightning long-term, there can be a large Lightning hub, but you can open only a channel with them. You put out $1,000 there. Let's say in 10 years, mm -hmm. I send $1,000 to a Lightning channel and I pay $10 fee, it's a 1% fee. Okay, but I did it one time. I have $1,000 in my balance. But that balance is not held by the Lightning node. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can trustlessly move that $1,000 to another hub that I want to. And so if you be if you think realistically about how Lightning can work, um, this is a way in which you can maintain decentralization and the user experience can get good enough so that you can do that kind of stuff. That doesn't mean that that is perfect. It's not, but I'd rather have that than having to deal with hard forks uh, that are, that divide communities every single time, which is what I've seen that happens. I mean, the, the, the funniest case is the whole BCH thing, BSV thing, where when people are voting for things, they're going to not agree. Humans will find a way to disagree and to fork each other off. And what I like about Bitcoin is that you can say whatever you want, you know, we don't hard fork. If you hard fork, you become an altcoin. So every every maxi who's right now saying Bitcoin shouldn't be used for NFTs, oh yeah, bro, mm -hmm. I'm happy to see you create your own fork, disable NFTs, and go do something that isn't Bitcoin. Yeah. Because if the Bitcoin protocol allows NFTs, it allows NFTs. You're not the person to say what Bitcoin should or shouldn't be used for. Well, that might go to the next um, <laughs> next segue into Udi's little tweet, which um, Udi is a, a, I don't really know what to make of this guy, but he's, he's quite entertaining at least. Um, so most, just for the recap, most of this traffic has the extra traffic on the Bitcoin chain lately was NFT variants at first, like ordinals or stamps or things like that. And then more, more recently was these BRC 20 tokens, which are, it's a hilarious name, um, which basically, you know, tokens on the on the bitcoin main chain on on chain so udi has been one of these people pushing for all this stuff who's he's like a former maxi now he's i i don't even know what to call him but he's like a, a shit poster let's just say that oh. yeah a meme lord yeah but he says how i broke Bit i'm just gonna this is the only one i'm gonna read in, in full the, the other one i'm gonna gloss over he says, how i broke bitcoin um by udi Worth a mirror. I don't know how you say his name. I don't care either. The guy who's more important than Satoshi, which is <laughs> doing a troll because something, a long story. Anyway, he says, you probably know that uh, Eric Wall and I broke Bitcoin. As I'm typing this tweet, Bitcoin network fees have risen to levels 100 times the higher than they were just two weeks ago. Children are dying, but why? <laughs> As I've been reading other people's reaction to this, I've realized that, the, that many, especially in the laser-eyed cult, do not understand how the fee markets work. And... He says many people, um, many assume that fees rise when blocks are full and go down as blocks are empty. He says this assumption is wrong. And basically, be giant wall of text, but throughout the whole thing is it's basically 
um, he says that it's not just transaction capacity, it's also transaction urgency. And what these BRC20 type tokens did was they allowed, um, they basically gave a premium for a number of like one out of a thousand, eight out of that, whatever. And so people were rushing to get in as high as they could. So they really wanted their transactions to be in quicker. And so basically he kind of ex exposed the whole thing with the fee market being weird. Um, anyway, ended up being, um, he says, sum it up, fees go up when participants want transactions converted urgently. They go down when the transactions are no longer urgent. It is difficult to predict urgency. What we can predict is that since the laser-eyed gatekeepers lost their grip over the Bitcoin protocol, more unique experiments will show up and transaction urgency will continue to fluctuate. Days of Bitcoin as a zombie chain are over. Let the games begin. So, um, first off, what's your take on on this whole thing? Do you think? Well, you know yeah. what's you know what's funny? Yeah. Because I agree with him in a lot of stuff. Like the way I see Bitcoin, Bitcoin is a protocol. Mm -hmm. And I I made some videos about it recently where I compared it to football. When football, and I mean real football, I'm sorry, but global yeah. football, yeah, not American football, footy. So. <laughs> so football is a protocol when people invented football they were thinking about hey let's just create a sport where you can where you don't you where you we play the ball with our feet right so what are the rules where well, you don't touch it with your hands because you think that you're gonna either touch it with your feet or with your hand and then one day in 1871 a guy came and scored a goal with their head and everyone was like what the fuck was that <laughs> bro Oh, wait, wait a moment. I didn't touch it with my hand. Hey, is that legal? Oh, well, I mean, if you see the protocol, I mean, that's legal. Okay. And now headers became a thing. Mm -hmm. And that's how every other move and strategy in football came along. You have a set of rules, a set protocol, and people discover things that they can do within that protocol. Mm -hmm. And so that means that people are going to discover things that are unpleasant to you and that make you think that the protocol shouldn't be that. For me... That is the popular Catenaccio. Catenaccio, it's an Italian um, style of football play, which is all defensive. It's the most boring kind of game you can watch. Like game games end 0-0. Every game is 0-0 because both teams has, uh, have all their players like hugging the goalposts and nobody wants to score goals but because it, it, it's convenient for them. Because when you play Catenaccio, you're playing for a draw, and football allows for draws in most competitions. So you want the draw, so you're gonna, you don't care about entertaining, you just wanna stay on the back. Or you might score one lucky goal and you won 1 0. And so if you look at football scores from 50 years ago, games were 7 to 5, 8 to 6. They were fun. You were seeing goals all day. And you use the games today. The teams have learned that within the football protocol, it pays off to be more defensive because you risk less because the, the worst that can happen is you draw or you lose by one goal, which is, isn't as humiliating of getting you know, beaten 5-0. You see most football games today are 1-0, 0-0, 0-1, 2-1, and they're bo more boring than they were 50 years ago. Now, I can't do anything about it. And, I mean... I'm not saying football is a comparison to sound money or whatever. But what mm -hmm. I'm talking about is that people will discover things within a protocol that they don't like. But if the protocol allows them, you have to live with them. Or you have to figure out a way to beat that with a better strategy that's also within the protocol. And so another funny story in football 
and sorry if this is not your sport, but yeah. uh, in 2008 and nine, the greatest team of all time, Guardiola's Football Club Barcelona, created a method where they scored five and six goals on all Catenaccio teams. And that was my happiest moment in football <laughs> because within the protocol, they created an attacking strategy where these guys could hug the fucking goalpost and they would still get beaten 5 0. And so that's the way these NFT things are beaten on Bitcoin. I don't care if you do NFTs on Bitcoin. If the protocol allows it, I like it. And the only way we're going to solve this is to figure out other ways of using the Bitcoin protocol that don't that allow people to transact with low fees or with lesser fees than what these people are doing. And so I don't disagree with Udi uh, ideologically, I think. However, he blocked me on Twitter. I don't know why. Probably, probably yeah, a long time ago. I don't know when, when he blocked me, but I mean, I've never been a maxi. I guess he saw my laser eye, you know, thing, which I don't think that necessarily has to be for maxis. I just think I look cool. And so uh I, 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 people were talking about this and how, why am i not seeing woody's tweets i'm just seeing eric's tweets which is his boyfriend or something uh the uh, it, 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 the, the guy blocked me but i mean mm -hmm. i don't disagree if you discover something that you can do on the bitcoin protocol and it spikes usage and miners are making money i am happy are people being affected yes it is our job as Bitcoiners to be football's Guardiola and create solutions that even though these people are doing something I don't like or disagree with or whatever, we can create within the protocol those solutions. But when you start advocating and sounding like hard for proponents, mm -hmm. which you criticize for a long time, and now you're saying, no, we shouldn't allow this. We should change Bitcoin core so that they don't allow this. Then you lose me. You're not a maxi. I mean, you're calling yourself a maxi, but to, to me, what a maxi should be is somebody who doesn't want hard force, who doesn't want the protocol to be touched. We don't want football to be changed to see more goals because you're changing the sport. The sport is what it is. Take it for what it is. That's what a real maxi should be like. Yeah. So the thing is, as far as the actual tokens and NFTs and stuff on Bitcoin, what do you think of them? specifically in their, their use case or value? Well, uh, my opinion on NFTs is that they're 99.9% worthless. Mm -hmm. The only use case I see for NFTs is gating, mm -hmm. which is I do see uh, sports teams selling their tickets as NFTs. I think that's, that is great mm -hmm. because all the fraud that happens right now. Well, I went to the, again, sorry for the football analogies, but I went to the World Cup in mm -hmm. December. And I had to buy a, a, some Argentina games resold. And it's scary because they might give you a fake thing. And if you go to the thing, if you go to the machine and you scan your thing and your ticket is fake, you don't get in. And a lot of people are being, are constantly scammed in that way. Whereas if you know that it's a Bitcoin wallet or a crypto wallet or whatever, and you know that the token, the NFT is there, mm -hmm. you know you're going to pass. And so I think it's a very clever way to do gating. But if you're going to do NFT gating, I don't think that's quite likely to make you rich. Although if you have an NFT from the Champions League final of 30 years ago, you might be able to sell that as a collectible 30 years later, but not this 
silly NFT collections mm -hmm. right now that are basically pump and dump scams. But that is my opinion on NFTs. I don't uh, uh, like them very much because most of the people who are doing that are not really providing value. But I think NFTs that are laid to gatekeep and provide entry to uh, private experiences, you know, VIP things, is something that will be nice because it will be an improvement of, 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 on current tickets, which are basically broken and fraud and, and, and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. so that's my take on them. So if they're going to make that kind of stuff on Bitcoin, that's great. If you look at the NFTs right now on Bitcoin, they're not doing that. They're basically pump and dump, you know, join the, the, the ape club, which I think they're all going to zero. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't matter. My opinion of if those things are going to zero doesn't matter. They are doing valid Bitcoin transactions because people found a way to do valid Bitcoin transactions that include those images on the blockchain and they're making miners money. Therefore, it is allowed. That's my opinion. Yeah. So th these, this group of NFTs doesn't seem to be anything more than like a speculative thing, right? I mean, I yeah. didn't look that close. And then the same thing with these BRC20 tokens. Um, there's a, tokens have been on, I mean, I remember I've used, I used to use counterparty tokens way back in the early Bitcoin days. It then uh, obviously, ERC twenty had everything. Everything was a token, and there's still there's so many different um, use cases for tokens. Um, but these late latest ones, the BRC twenty, I've not heard of a single person describe them as anything more than a oh they're they're big and people are buying. So they also seem to be kind of crap. Yeah, they're probably they're, they're, that's why I think this whole fad about them is gonna go down. But that doesn't mean I have to oppose it. I, mm -hmm. I see this as a good, necessary stress test for Bitcoin. That mm -hmm. I'm happy it happens with some degens whose ape club is going to zero, rather than a large economy flooding into Bitcoin. So I'm yeah. happy about this situation. Yeah. So the thing is, it seems it's kind of funny because. Um, it seems like exactly something to be happy for because first of all, it's more economic activity, more fees to the miners, more everything like that. And also it's the stress tests and fun things. As far as, I wonder if it was done completely in good faith though. It almost seems like it was done as a stress test. It was done as a spam attack, as a thing to prove yeah. a point. That doesn't mean it is because I don't think that a, a fee paying transaction is like spam, right? But it's... <clears throat> It, it seems like, like, and that's one reason I, like, for example, Ethereum is under constant spam attack, i.e. usage, <laughs> for the last many years. Like, if Bitcoin fees go down. Ethereum fees do not go down. Not really. They're just always up there. Yeah. And it, I do not think the same thing will happen with, with this on Bitcoin. I, I think it's just going to go away. Uh, but, so in that way, the people who perpetrated this... Um, I think have an ulterior agenda, whether it's, um, and I don't know exactly what it is, whether it's to expose a lot of these things, like for example, the fragility of the lightning ecosystem or the so-called lightning ecosystem in terms of like moon and stuff like that, uh, to maybe to expose it. Whereas it's the same goal as maybe you have, except with a different perspective, whereas you want it to get stronger. They want to see it dead <laughs> or it might just be like, to try to push 
the Mac, the Maxis, you know, the monolith that is known as the Maxis, right? It's trying to push them into doing something yeah. like advocating or hoisting some kind of censorship type thing in order to, you know, expose them to get them out of Bitcoin or get them to fully control it and get everyone else out of Bitcoin, one or the other. Yeah. That seems to be I the, think... the, the, that seems to be the reason. Do you, do you agree with that or not? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I've been saying that I don't consider this an attack in the sense that this isn't spam mm -hmm. because Bitcoin had a problem of spam and as spam would be transactions that are not paying fees and you as a node are forced to also include them. And Satoshi noticed that and he said, I don't want spam. Let's put something called a block size limit so that there is no spam. Anyone mm -hmm. who pays gets in. And so anything that gets in, it's valid. So under that notion, there is no spam. And so if there isn't spam, this isn't an attack. Now, what you're saying is different because you're talking about the social aspect. And I do think this is a social attack. Mm -hmm. Like these guys are not attacking the blockchain. They are using the blockchain for a purpose different to what they know the cultists like to use it. Mm -hmm. And therefore, they're socially attacking them in order to exploit their hypocrisy because they dare to say that anyone who changes the Bitcoin protocol is a shitcoiner. And now mm -hmm. they are hinting. And it's funny because they, you, you see the tweets and they don't want to fully say, let's hard fork these NFTs out because they it's inconsistent. So they say things open-ended still. Something to think about. We should allow these things. Are these things supposed to be allowed? Something to think about. Like I'm kind of hinting that they want to hard fork the thing off. But and not I'm saying like, hard fork, not saying those exactly. two words. Exactly. Yeah. Not saying them, but hinting it. Like, is this something we should allow? Is it Bitcoin supposed to be? And so I tweeted, when people use gold for jewelry, you imagine things hundreds of years ago saying, <laughs> hey, you're not supposed to go wear gold around your neck, you shit coiner. You're putting it in so, your electronic devices, you scammer. Like, <laughs> exactly. You're putting electronic devices, you scammer. Exactly. <laughs> so it's bullshit. I do think it's a social attack. And mm -hmm. I think that attack is good. Because yeah. if you're a Bitcoiner and you are rational, you will notice the bullshit. Yeah. And course. I see more and more people noticing the bullshit and saying, come on, bro, these are valid Bitcoin transactions. Let this happen because this will happen again. I agree with you that this is going away for now. Mm -hmm. In fact, fees have been regularizing a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, and I have to deal with this on a daily basis, as you know. Yeah, the, of course. With, with, with the wallet here. Uh, fees have uh, the average fees have been going down already then there's a, another spike and then they go down again or whatever but uh this will happen again mm -hmm. and it will happen multiple times and it will happen in a worse case where there are more people being affected because uh, as i said nigeria or brazil or whoever russia they're flocking into bitcoin and so what we need to do is to create the lightning ecosystem that is capable of protecting users from this situation. So I'm happy about it. I do think it's a social attack. It's a deserved social attack that exposes hypocrisy. But on the blockchain, it's not a, an attack. This isn't spam. Yeah, which is kind of funny because uh, that's a great segue. The next thing, it is the stress test. It does push things in a certain direction. And you know what direction it went into? Everyone's using Litecoin. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because for the first time ever, first of all, Bitcoin transactions, the total raw amounts, uh, I think they only ever 
usually went up to three, four hundred thousand typically, but then they got up to six and a half hundred thousand or so. But for the first ever time, Litecoin transactions passed Bitcoin transactions very briefly, and they're but it's still very high. It's so I I haven't seen something like this so obvious since 2017, which for people who were paying attention back then. Litecoin fees were up to $2 for transaction for Litecoin then because they weren't ready for that giant influx of traffic because everyone was using Coinbase. Coinbase was the number one app in the app store in the US at least. And everyone was trying to get their Bitcoin off. $50 fees, no. So the only way to get it off was they they traded it again, not on-chain, through the custodial platform that is, is Coinbase. They got Litecoin instead and took it off. And then Litecoin transactions went to like a hundred thousand. Now Litecoin transactions are like four to six hundred thousand. And as far as like the next slide, I, I plotted that um, from not just like the the transaction spikes of the two chains next to each other, but also the the fees. And the fees of Litecoin did not go up because they did not hit the li they limit. It did not hit the scarcity the limit. Yeah. And so as I've kind of trolled before, but uh, the the old meme of you know the putting the litecoin lo logo look at me i am the real lightning network now <laughs> <laughs> so it seems like the it's short term a lot of people have decided it's a lot easier to just use litecoin than lightning because so, it's true so what are, what are your just thoughts on that that development because that is true and this mm -hmm. is a very interesting point because when People are in need. They're going to use what's most accessible to them. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that that thing that is accessible to them is what they want to hold. And I remember back when I, you know, uh, went away uh, from Bitcoin, especially because of the high fee situation. I was living in Venezuela. Mm -hmm. My mind back then was, if we don't have low fees, you know, we can't do shit. Funny, there was a BSV guy. I think you probably know who it is. He's a unicorn Twitter guy. You, you remember him? Uh, a guy that had like a blue unicorn. I don't remember his name. Oh, was it Daniel uh, Kravitz? Exactly, that guy, Daniel. I so, was on his show like a month ago or something. So he's really? still around. Yeah. Oh, he's still around. I didn't know that. But, he's still uh, a BSV like, guy. <laughs> well, three years ago or something like that, I heard that guy said something that it especially hit because he came from the big blocker camp. Mm -hmm. And he said that holding is using the mm. transacting is using and it kind of broke my what the fuck you're a big blocker talking about holding is using instead of transacting we need transactions or whatever but he's, he made a very good point which is the fact that i will use you to move but will not hold you does not mean i value you it means you are useful right now and so Litecoin is seeing, you know, extreme volumes because people want to move Bitcoin from one place to the other, mostly exchanges, because let's also be real. Mm -hmm. People talk about custodial on Lightning. Most people on blockchain cryptos are using custodians because most crypto users are just trying to make money trading or whatever. And most of these transactions are moving from one exchange to the other. And so they want to hold Bitcoin they use the convertibility feature inside your exchange to you do a lightning transaction to receive that on the other exchange and then on the other exchange they convert it back to bitcoin or to whatever other thing they're doing and so 
if that's most of the Lycan usage, does that mean that these people consider Lightning as something valuable? Does that mean that people want to hold Litecoin? I think the answer is no. People are going to use what's useful for them in the moment. And right now, because most exchanges do not use Lightning and because most exchanges have easy convertibility features into other blockchains, people are going to opportunistically use what's useful to them. But that doesn't mean that they value that. And when Daniel said that three years ago, it was one of those moments where I said, wait, it's true. If I don't want to hold this long term, do I really value it? And so I do think that a lot of people who are you doing those transactions right now would prefer to continue to use Bitcoin denominated transactions, but they're not doing it because of the fees. But if they had that option, they would use that option. And so my question now is, mm -hmm. what will happen if Binance and Coinbase and all of these guys integrate Lightning with all of the caveats, you know, because I agree there are custodial Lightning, but, but, but they are do custodian on chain right now. Mm -hmm. So it's a good comparison. So if all of these exchanges who do custodial on chain do also custodial Lightning, and this situation happens again, will we see the same influx of people going into Litecoin or will they mostly use Lightning because it's still Bitcoin denominated? I think it's a it's a question to be to be asked. Yes. Also, on a different level, because I've been doing a lot of trolley tweets, but I did a similar tweet about like that on the hierarchy thing, but at the top of the hierarchy was Ethereum, that BRC20s are on Bitcoin because it's cheaper than doing it on Ethereum. That Bitcoin is <laughs> Ethereum's L2. L2, yeah. <laughs> it's, kind of, it's kind of funny how that trickles down. Uh, that's what I love about these kinds of things is uh, they're truth exposers, right? Because we have opinions, right? And 95% of crypto, at least, I would say, is speculation, which is opinion plus money right that's all it is, is i think this is going to be useful i think that's going to be useful here i'm going to put money in. like that's all it is and it's funny when you see like what are the things that like the, the the maxis like to say is whenever you say something that they don't agree with they just post a price chart of whatever coin they think yeah. they're talking about that's like down and i would say that's like 80 percent bullshit there's like an 80 percent of that which is just like oh look more people are betting on your opinion but that it means yeah. nothing there's a 20 percent it's like a guy is showing you an adoption chart of the dollar when you talk to them about bitcoin it's like yeah right? have That's fun staying poor mm, yeah. dollar like people yeah. I, i'm gonna have to start doing that as a i need to create a fiat maximalist twitter account and start trolling yeah. the shit out of everyone <laughs> that should that you know what there's a guy in in it's a venezuelan guy he's a, uh, an economist or lawyer kind of guy and mm -hmm. I, I remember that guy uh, even talked to me years ago because he wanted some crypto expert or something to do something like that. Mm -hmm. I think he got disappointed with crypto or some way, and now he became a fiat maximalist. Like but he weird. has like a, he has like a half a million uh, follower count. Uh, he talks about a lot of stuff other than than the fiat, you know. But he's constantly, you know, poking Bitcoiners and crypto people, saying the most outrageous fiat maximalist takes. And it's just so funny to watch. I think he probably does it for the engagement. I don't think he's actually that radical. But he's saying, he, the other day he tweeted, mm -hmm. uh, 
a, a potential criminal try to pay for my economics course with Bitcoin. I immediately report him to the authorities. I don't want uh, laundered money. I, uh, I am happy that my bank does KYC so that I know the payments I receive are clean. Mm -hmm. Fuck you, Bitcoiners. And I'm like, you know, that's the way a Fiat maximalist would, would talk. And uh, yeah. <laughs> I just think it's really funny. It is kind of funny. Uh, like the whole <laughs> the Fiat maximalist thing. Um, where were we right before then? I uh, just talking about. Yeah. Oh yeah, like people moving on to things like Litecoin and the the opinion speculation type thing. Now the twit. This is where you know, because I'm the recipient of a lot of these like chart arguments, and yeah. a lot of people I know and talk to like they're with the same thing, and I have to give them a little bit of credence that is like at some point people are betting on like why are people betting on one solution more than another? There could be something real there. Or over time, when there's less betting and more just paying for usage or paying to acquire for a utilitarian purpose and less, like more, I'm buying Bitcoin because it's valuable today and less, I'm buying Bitcoin because people are telling me it's going to go to the moon and the dollar is going to collapse. When it's more than the first one, then those charts become more relevant, right? But so uh, at some point, you, you get to see that kind of shake out. And so... Um, like clearly people are not betting on Litecoin nearly enough compared to that. But when push comes to shove, people in this again, and the thing is data means as any scientist knows, again, not, uh, not a scientist, I should say, but any like scientist or anything knows is data is a kind of agnostic. It means what it means. And you can make interpretations and try to figure out what it means, but it's the data, you know, the, the facts of the matter speak, yeah. but only so much. So, the current facts are people prefer to use on-chain Bitcoin rather than Lightning if it's cheap enough. I mean, and I, I don't think that anyone in the world should have a disagreement or a problem with that either, right? Everyone, of course, you know, you know if it's cheap enough, everyone should use that. Um, but then when it's not cheap enough, people overwhelmingly seem to, with the, again, the current set of facts and realities, jump to Litecoin and use that instead because... Litecoin right now is easier than using Lightning in a, like a relatively non-custodial kind of a way. Now, I guess the question in the future is, first of all, every time people have to use something that's not Bitcoin, do they all come back at some point or do some of them stay? And that's a question that I don't have the answer to. And obviously it's a complicated one. But the next thing is what happens with the next push? Is the next push going to be, okay, well, Litecoin only pumped a little bit. But like everything, but like more, more of it went to lightning because lightning was more developed then. Is that the truth? I don't know. Or is you don't it, know. everyone's going to go overwhelmed. Now, Litecoin transactions are going to be expensive because they get overflowed. And then people now it's like BSV has its time <laughs> or whatever. Exactly. Whatever. I don't know. And I, I, I just love finding out. I love seeing it. I love finding out what's going on. Yeah. And I mean, I'm all for memes because mm -hmm. I don't take them seriously. So it's funny when people tweet, hey, Litecoin is the real Lightning Network. Or even, yeah. I think this, the, these guys, uh, I mean, Udi blocked me, but I think Eric yeah. posted it too or something like that. Or maybe someone screenshotted Udi, I don't know which was, but he was saying that uh, wrapped Bitcoin on Ethereum is the real Lightning because it has a $14 billion of, uh, worth of, of, of Bitcoin there versus Lightning who has $40 million. Order of magnitude yeah, higher than which, that. So, which I will, I will sort of agree with that in the one sense that 
apparently Bitcoiners love to pay high fees, and this is the only way for them to somehow pay even higher fees for Bitcoin. Oh, uh, yeah, with wrap Bitcoin on Ethereum, yeah. <laughs> well, but you know, that's funny, but the, the reality is, because the, the truth of wrap Bitcoin is that Ethereum lovers mm-hmm. also like to hold Bitcoin, and they figured out a way to do that on the chain they like. And since it's a huge community, because the people using wrap Bitcoin are not Bitcoin Maxis. Mm-hmm. I don't think a Bitcoin Maxi has ever touched wrap Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. What I do know, because I, I, I know a lot mm-hmm. of people, crypto bros who do, you know, uh, NFT games and are always, you know, I, I have this friend who who speaks to me once in a while and, hey, Lorenzo, how are things going? Oh, good. How about you? And he told me, hey, hey, shitcoining around here. You know, he, he's kind of a meme for him. You know, mm-hmm. he said, I'm shitcoining around. He tries the wildest tokens you could imagine, mango, shit, and booba, luga tokens. Mm-hmm. He's always, you know, if doing that kind of shit. based on a fruit or an animal, he's all over it. He's all over it, yeah. And he's always having this rap Bitcoin stack and then moving around. So rap Bitcoin is a way for this casino lovers to, you know, uh, have some sort of uh, stabler uh, token, although you are you aware, Ethereum mm-hmm. was stable for them, but for some reason, they also like Bitcoin and they created this thing so that they can also have Bitcoin there and do this other stuff. But, but going back to, to what we were saying mm-hmm. before, which is that posting a meme about lightning being Litecoin being the real lightning mm-hmm. is funny. And it, but it's the same type of argument of a maxi showing you a price chart of, mm-hmm. you know, a meme of, hey, I mean, because they, if you think about it, both are doing the same type of argument. They're saying mm-hmm. this is what people think and this is proof that you're wrong. Mm-hmm. But the, the devil, under, uh, you know, in the, it's in the details, which is why are people preferring that? Mm-hmm. So is it because it's really better or is it because the current circumstances make it more convenient for you to choose that. But if circumstances change, you would permanently switch to a different yeah. thing. And that is an open-ended question, which we don't know the answer to. But what I do know, and this has been proven time and time again, that na- network effects matter. And the mm-hmm. network effect that Bitcoin has is very big. And so in my case... I don't want any hard forks. Like mm-hmm. I, I, I'm fully on the train that if Bitcoin is going to succeed, it has to do without hard forks. I wouldn't really like to see a hard fork. But let's just say doomsday scenario, which is lightning fails, all of it doesn't work, this and that, and somehow the community or the world decides that the only way for Bitcoin to move forward is to increase the block size. I think he has a better chance of doing that and continuing to be the preferred cryptocurrency mm-hmm. rather than Bitcoin Cash or Lightning does because of that network effect. And so my guess is that Bitcoin will win. Mm-hmm. I, 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 would, I wouldn't like for it to win with hard forks because if Bitcoin ever hard forks, what that gives me is a fear that one day we're going to hard fork into emitting more coins. Which would defeat the purpose, in my view. Yeah. But I do think it has the biggest chance of, uh, you know, maintaining, you know, uh, popularity due to, due to network effects. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Um, it's so crazy how uh, people's hierarchy of wants are very different. The thing is, uh, we're just touching on like the the emission thing first before going into the hard fork thing. Uh, yeah. 
the I used to think that the scarce supply was the most important thing for me. And I'm kind of like not because in before crypto, I was trying to get one of like Peter Schiff's gold backed debit cards and stuff. Cause I was just oh, really, like, yeah. Cause I was like, I want to, I want to only own gold. I don't want to own dirty fiat. This is before like, I want to only, yeah. and I, and I don't care if it's custodial. Cause that wasn't even a thought in my mind. I just thought people yeah. use banks, right? I want a, a gold bank. So I can just swipe it and do that. And so that was where I approached crypto from. And then uh, in the hierarchy of things, and because when I try to teach people how to live on crypto, I I break down the hierarchy of things you can get, right? Like at a bare minimum, if you use something like a Coinbase card or something, you don't have custody over your funds. You have to do KYC, but you don't have to have your money denominated in dollars. And that's like a bare minimum you could do. And then beyond that, then the next thing you can do is you can have KYC, unfortunately, but you can do self-custody and pay KYC, like, which is be like, for example, there's like a, uh, like bit refills, bill pay thing. Do they still do that in El Salvador? Yeah. 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 It's really good. They have some situations because they use partners. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't pay my electricity bills for a while, but then they added them back and I use them all the time to pay for bills here. Yeah. And so that's, that's a KYC service, but it's not custodial. So you get to hold on to your own money. You get to keep it denominated in crypto and not in dirty fiat, but you have to do KYC. And then, of course, the holy grail is just everything. However, when I was breaking down the like pro the priority scheme in that way, I have a lot of people that are saying, you know what? I don't want to use, rather than having all crypto and paying my bills with something like BitRefill, I would rather have mostly crypto, but then cash too, and use the cash to pay the bills because that's not KYC. And that's my, right. my number one priority. And so it's like, well, I don't, I don't know which one I believe. I think I'd rather. And so my, that kind of goes to the, the inflation thing of the inflation thing. I think is very important. Um, I care. I, there's two things I personally care about with inflation that I don't like about fiat government, fiat inflation. Um, half of that is losing money. Like where my value goes away. The other half right. is the government getting that. And so I'd be, I'm much less resistant to like emissions if it's not an evil actor like the government bombing kids and stuff that gets it, but it's still, it still is a kind of a bad thing. Uh, but it's yeah, no, I, I agree with you because I, in to some capacity, because what I'm scared of is not that like if Satoshi waved the magic wand and the Bitcoin mm -hmm. protocol changed today and it suddenly uh you know instead of uh havings being havings they are 10 percent uh reduced or something like that they mm -hmm. were so that at the end they're going to be 26 million bitcoin i'm not going to change my mind about bitcoin because now there's four million more coins that will be in total existence mm -hmm. so that's not my fear because i do think that a moderate you know higher inflation is not necessarily going to affect the value of my coins what i am scared of is of humans mm -hmm. because Human interventionism, unfortunately, has this, you know, tendency of creating precedents that allow you to push the bound further, further mm -hmm. next time around. Yeah. And so what I think is that, hey, let's just do 2% inflation more. It'll save us right now. Mm -hmm. hey, but it will never do anything more than that. You know, this is just for now. It's just because of the current situation. Mm -hmm. And then 10 years happen and say, hey, but if we did 2% back then, why can't we do 4% right now? And then mm -hmm. 10 years more happen. Hey, if we did four, why don't we do eight? And so yeah. 
how do you stop the human from doing that? Unfortunately, I don't think you can. And that's why I, I my bets are on a, a, a protocol that you cannot fork or that will not fork. Mm -hmm. Because if it forks, maybe it'll never happen. Maybe the communities will, you know, maintain, you know, low inflation or whatever. But I don't feel comfortable now because I feel like this is one day going to blow up because people have the capacity to change it. Yeah, it's like and a so, nuclear bomb, sort of. Like exactly, it was used one time, as far as I'm aware, in war, in, like an actual situation, and then it just could not ever really be used again because of the stakes are so high. Uh, now the thing is, I think that's really. I find just like I like every, like I've always been a fan of Bitcoin Cash. However, that being said, I'm also a fan that they got sort of forked to shit as well. Not because I, not because I think it's good because this definitely has not been good for Bitcoin Cash, but just because it's it's more stuff happening. It's more like progress. It's okay. more, you know, things have happened. And so one thing I think is very interesting is when you had the block size war and the split, and a bunch of people jumped onto Bitcoin Cash, you had what you thought was a united front, but it was a lot of different ideas. Exactly. Um, so you had like the digital cash maximalist type people who kind of are in there today, but then you had the the big block maxis, which are the BSVers today, right? And they're, they're very similar, oddly enough, although very like, you know, <laughs> strange. It's like a different, it's like a multiverse kind of version, but it's like- the they, they broke, you know, my intellectual ability when I saw, they're like, they sound a lot like Bitcoin maxis, but they're, they're I mean- Opposite maxis. Exactly, but then, but then they have a lot of good points, like this mm -hmm. point this unicorn guy made. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's kind of funny because then that split off. But then after that whole maxi thing split off, we can never change the protocol. It's just set in stone. It's like except their stone is a different stone, right? It was it's a different the stone, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's just a different stone, but it's still set in stone, and they want it like it's the exact same thing. <laughs> And the only disagreement with Bitcoin was the block size. That's the only the disagreement. The only major. I mean, there's SegWit and other shit, but whatever. The, uh, the meaningful yeah. difference is that. And then yeah. the. But that that's the thing. I mean, it, it, it's kind of arbitrary mm -hmm. because you say, okay, Bitcoin is imperfect. I agree, it's imperfect because you know what? Hindsight is twenty twenty. If I would have been Satoshi when I created the block size limit, instead of doing a post where he says, hey, we might increase this in the future, I would say, hey, people are going to fight because of this, so let's just do it with the halvings. Every time you reduce emissions to half, you increase the blockchains by twice, and then mm -hmm. you have a, a very proportionate yeah. thing that, would, that nice. would be beautiful. That would have been great. And what I've been, because I have a lot of discussion with Bitcoiners and stuff, and a lot of them have been repeating this anti-block size limit increases narrative. Mm -hmm. But then I said, I say this, if Satoshi had mm -hmm. created a dynamic block size limit that increases with halvings, you'll be happy right now talking about how genius he is. And let's never fork this because this, this is the greatest thing in the world. So you're not really against a higher block size limit. And I'm not against a higher block size limit. I'm against uh humans deciding to increase the block size because when they do that they will change something else down the line yeah it's and the that's governance what concern exactly now, that's kind of funny because that makes 
a lot of people would consider your general viewpoints to be like maxi viewpoints. But that is a very big difference right there, for example. And I I would say that, I mean, a lot of maxis are just robots. Like they, they believe yeah. that Bitcoin's going to win and they, 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 whatever they say, they don't really believe. They just say things to yeah. like, I want to win. They just repeat. Yeah. yeah. But as far as people who actually have thoughts about this, like it's very diverse. And so then with the Bitcoin cash community, we saw that there was some extra disagreement where um, Amari Sashay was too progressive. He wanted to change too many things. And they're like, well, that's, that's too much. Or like, we don't like that you are just making decisions on your own and you want, and the, the, the dev fund thing was kind of the straw that broke camel's back. And then yeah, he went that was, to me, that's like, bro. Yeah. I mean, I don't mind there being a dev fund type thing necessarily, but just like saying, I'm going to give myself one. That's, that was, that's the thing. That's what people, that's the thing. That's why people didn't like him. So he forked off. And so now we kind of, the group of P of Bitcoin cashers now, settled to where they should be kind of there might be more splits who knows but probably it's still there now bitcoin btc has a lot has that exact same situation going on just no forks yet and so you have people and that's what i like about what udi and eric and all of them are doing with this is it's exposing that it's exposing a lot of people are like i love this stuff this is like all this stuff that we used to have to go to ethereum for but now it's here it's fine then there's the people that are like, well, I don't care for it, but it should be allowed. And then the people that just say, no, it shouldn't be allowed. And those people might all fork off, which is hilarious. <laughs> exactly. You don't know. But the the, the anti-fork thing is, I mean, so I, I have no problem with hard forks whatsoever. That being said, the root of what makes you think that is exactly something I agree with, which is governance needs to be figured out because otherwise you could end up with just anything and exactly the idea of like um it so from my personal experience right from living all on bitcoin and then not living on bitcoin for me the change that for me that was as big of a change in the user experience as it would be for you if the supply was doubled to 42 million it was like I bought into the system and then it didn't work for this anymore, which now, you know, I should turn on my like Roger Ver face swap and Bitcoin used to work, but then the fees were high and like all that. <laughs> but that's a, good, that's a good voice impression. Yeah. So the, the hard fork thing is about, it's not, it's not that the hard fork itself is bad. It's that we don't know, we don't have control or trust in what the results of those hard forks might be, or more importantly, who gets to decide. And that's kind of the thing that's scary, right? Yeah. Oh, for me, I, I share the same concerns. And I, I read somewhere, somebody said something about the future of Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And I thought it made a lot of sense because, uh, for example, gold is still a thing. Nobody considers it money. Nobody wants to transact with it, but it's still a valuable thing. Mm -hmm. And so they were saying, if everything goes well and we can continue and we can successfully scale Bitcoin uh, with L2s or with other potential discoveries, because this is another thing that people don't think about, which is human ingenuity. And I'm going to go on a tangent here, but I think this is important. Constraints bring out 
to genius in people. And so from a purely intellectual standpoint, increasing the block size is the easy way out. It's the easy thing to do. Mm-hmm. Where if, whereas if you're constrained, and I'm not saying any constraint is good. I'm just saying when you are under constraint, genius things happen. And so, for example, I think that was a minor, um, uh, something that was a minor uh, improvement to Bitcoin's efficiency is SegWit, which allows blocks to up to four megabytes because nodes who don't update to mm-hmm. SegWit will continue to see a block of one megabyte, but all of the extra data is segregated so that you don't see it. And then on top of that, Taproot was built that gave you an, uh, that, that allowed people to discover a way to use the Bitcoin script language to embed actual JPEGs into the blockchain without all nodes seeing them, because that is what's happening right now. Mm-hmm. When they create these NFT tokens, old nodes see valid Bitcoin transactions and don't see that data, but new nodes see that data. So what happens right now, that's why you now see fees being um, talked about, Satoshis per virtual byte, mm-hmm. per V byte, because there there is the actual bytes of the block, which is four megabytes, really, if you run SegWit, and then, or, or I should say the reverse, the virtual bytes which are four megabytes and then the real ones that all nodes see, which is one megabyte. Mm-hmm. And so what if somebody figures out a way to expand that even further? What if someone finds a way that you can send? What if it, instead of adding extra data, which is random, what if that extra data becomes transactions in the future? What if somebody figures out a way that you can have one megabyte blocks forever, but you can actually have a 50 gigabyte blocks with with a software you don't know mm-hmm. i mean I, I, i'm a technical person but I, i'm not i don't consider myself a genius with regards to the bitcoin protocol so what i'm saying could be impossible but who knows so someone might figure out a way to scale bitcoin with a new idea that makes lightning you know go away because this is a better software solution we don't know what's going to happen but going back now to the, what i was saying before this guy was saying the future of bitcoin might look like Bitcoin will become just an asset like gold, mm-hmm. which, you know, nobody will print more of it. And so it's a good store of value and you might use it for large transactions and this kind of stuff where you're going to have other currencies that people use. And then here comes the debate if it's going to be fiat or it's going to be other cryptocurrencies, which is a, uh, we've talked about this before. If I had to choose between Bitcoin being, you know, not useful for transactions and just being a store of value, would I rather have fiat? government money backed by Bitcoin or would I rather have other cryptocurrencies that are free? I would rather have that second scenario. Mm-hmm. But he was saying Bitcoin will still succeed if it becomes a good savings mechanism long term just because of the fact that it's scarce and nobody can change that. Or we can actually figure out a way to scale it and everyone could also use it for transactions. Mm-hmm. And I think those two scenarios are possible. We don't know what's going to happen. But I do think that the network effects that Bitcoin has will make it so that in my grimmest scenario, Bitcoin will still be a valuable holding asset, even if it's not transactable, which I don't want that. I want Bitcoin to be transactable and I work on that. But those are like the, the scenarios that I see for, for Bitcoin. Yeah. And the thing is, one thing we forget when we move way back is um, 
that what is Bitcoin and then what is money, right? And money is a language for communicating value between human beings. And, and obviously value is subjective, but, um, and this is something I've sort of started to think about more is um, not all languages are universal. So for example, when I transact with a friend by exchanging favors with a neighbor, we're not exchanging money because I don't, I don't want, so that doesn't apply to other people. It's just between us. Whereas money applies with the whole world. It's our like fungible value, value thing. Yeah. Uh, but so going back to that is like, why do we need something like Bitcoin to begin with? And of course you go, well, bailouts to the banks, you know, the banking system is, and the fiat system is screwed. And then you go like, well, what levels of it? And then it just, it all kind of goes from there. And so yeah. whenever people start trying to like, I think that one thing I noticed that people do a lot, and this is, I'm sure there's like, uh, you know, evolutionary psychologists and stuff who have studied this like clearly, but I notice what people do is they come up with like the root things that they want, like out of life. Then they come up with a tool or a philosophy around that, but then they all fight to change or defend that avoiding where it came from. So for example, you go like you want certain amounts of financial freedom. So you create something like Bitcoin. It was a created technology. And then people try to say, well, Bitcoin is this, and I don't care about that anymore. I just want to fight over the definition of what is and isn't Bitcoin, what should and shouldn't, what is a shit coin or what isn't a shit coin or what is on chain versus L. Like they want to fight over the definitions. Just like when people talk about like, like free healthcare is another thing. Healthcare should be free is a thing that's divorced from the goal. It's just from the goal. Yeah. It's just a thing of like, we need free healthcare. We hire minimum wage. It's like, but those things don't, those things aren't real. What you want is better conditions for people or the ability for people to have better conditions. And when you fight for that, that specific thing, like we need public education. Do we? Do we? I mean, that's not the goal. Yeah. That's just a tool that you fight for and it has to be defended. Defended for what it is, not for what it's for. And so all that I used to say, uh, all the cryptos are tools that allow people to live certain ways. And I would encourage people to uh, to chase after the best tools they want. Sometimes it's like use the best tool today, like use Litecoin today, for example. But sometimes it's sometimes it's also be an investor in it. That doesn't mean like a financial investor, but use things that you think will do better long-term that are more valuable long-term, like have more long-term, a longer time preference mentality, but just keep to that. Like always come back to that beginning of like, what is this all for? And then it kind of kind of shakes out from there. And so like, for example, a lot of people uh, are very adamant on proof of work or proof of stake. Like it has to be like, Oh, it's a, it's proof of stake. It's a shit coin. And it's like, well, why? Like, what is the problem with it? And it's not like, okay, well, these are the reasons. Just like, we've determined that this is the way it has to be. Not, for these reasons, I think this is the best way of having a well-distributed and robust and resilient network. So I like this better. And so that's what we're seeing a whole lot of is people fighting over these these um, moving goalposts and stuff. Well, unfortunately, that's the way humans 
a lot of humans work. It takes mm -hmm. a lot of work to think on first principles, which is what everybody should do, which is, okay, wait a moment. Mm -hmm. And the problem, uh, the, the problem that happens is that when you talk so much about, you started with these goals. Mm -hmm. And your way to solving your needs to achieve those goals was to build this system. What you should have done is to always consider that a tool and not let it become your identity. Mm -hmm. But when you have spent five years, eight years fighting for this thing that you created or supported for these goals, now your identity becomes the tool and not the goal. And now you cannot let go of it. And when that tool proves that it does no longer serve the goal or it do not don't serve, it doesn't serve the goal 100%, mm -hmm. now you start becoming a robot cultist who no longer sees reality, but you're just going to, and that's what happens to startup founders who fall in love with their startup. You know, it's like, no, this is my baby. I've dedicated so much time to it. No, no, no. If you're doing a startup, you should always have the mindset that I'm doing things wrong. This is shit. My product doesn't work. You know, I want to find these goals, but if the startup doesn't work, it doesn't work. I have to change the whole thing. You cannot fall in love with the tools. And so I think that a lot of people, because they have, true intentions of sound money fall in love with bitcoin or with whatever other crypto it's out there like xrp xrp exactly hopefully not but <laughs> what no but there are people like that like yeah people are emotional and they become attached to things if bitcoin proves long term not to be what i thought it was i'll move around that's why i can never consider myself a maxi well i was at a, at a at a guy's podcast recently we we're talking about bitcoin and i was saying you know even though i think bitcoin is has the network effects and has the uh, a very powerful argument for bitcoin to me cypher dn's argument of uh i forgot the exact way in which he describes it so i'm wanting to kind of paraphrase it which is like a sinless uh birth or unique birth which is no, no, no currency can appear right now without the incentives of making money. I don't believe there's one single currency that people created. And in their mind, there wasn't the thought, like even the first currency like Litecoin or Dash or anything mm -hmm. that happened in 2013 and 14, they saw a, in 2014, Bitcoin had already breached $1,000. People knew back then that if they had put $1,000 in Bitcoin, they would be multimillionaires. So you, I, I mm -hmm. don't buy the theory that anyone could have created a cryptocurrency without the thought that this might be the new Bitcoin, I'm mm -hmm. going to get rich and disappear. So Satoshi was the only one who did that. And so I don't think a better protocol than Bitcoin can appear without those incentives there and without somebody controlling it. The reason Bitcoin had that was because it was worth nothing. People didn't care about it. And so it naturally evolved into an ecosystem that even today the community has resisted to hard fork and mm -hmm. so it uh, it kind of has that more moral backstory than a lot of the other coins and again there's a whole spectrum here i'm not saying that every altcoin mm -hmm. was created with the intention of making money because that would be equating bugaluga coin to zcash mm -hmm. and that's not what i'm saying or monero for example mm -hmm. i think the creators of monero really wanted privacy as their main thing but you cannot tell me that they didn't think about if it was going up in price, we will be millionaires. Whereas the first people who used Bitcoin didn't see, did, 
potentially didn't see that as a, as a possibility. And so I think that's a very powerful argument for Bitcoin. But that doesn't mean I'm in love with Bitcoin. If, Bitcoin, if the maxis convince exchanges to hard fork Bitcoin, to you know uh, remove NFTs, and all exchanges adopt this new fork as Bitcoin, and this new fork Bitcoin becomes the new thing, it, have, it would have been broken for me now. Because now I know those people will potentially inflate it down the line yeah you know that's that's the other thing is um perfect like perfect origins versus present realities uh because one thing that i think like for example litecoin had a relative i mean i mean it was just it was what it was right just like a relatively simple type launch i mean there was an inflation bug on the first day but other than that that's it's a relatively simple launch um, but then over time compared to a whole lot of different cryptocurrencies, and I, I don't know where the trend is today because I haven't looked at those stats recently, but it started to consolidate to where Coinbase controlled like over half of the entire currency supply, like moved it in like a day. And so it got really, so no matter how virgin the birth was, right. Uh, it ended up becoming consolidated and centralized. And then you have, yeah. you know, a coin like say Ethereum, which started as a, as in a literal ICO, right? It was like a literal ICO. Literally, yeah. And then add mining and stuff. And today, I'm pretty sure the supply of Ethereum is probably one of the less centralized ones of all the major crypto projects, despite all that, just because a lot of people have used, it's been mined, but then a lot of people have used it over the years and a lot more people keep on using it. It just gets all over the place. Uh, yeah. But so it, it's kind of interesting whenever people go to whatever they care about it helps to have uh statistics on the page about like well what percentage of people own this and it's like what percentage of you know coins does satoshi have right which is it's a relatively large percentage all things considered but people don't mind because he's probably gone you know i don't care if it's craig Wright. you know if it's craig Wright, he lost his coins so whatever (laughs) Um, but then at the same time like when microstrategy has more and more at that, that level, I don't think it's a problem. But if you start to have like yeah. 5% of the supply, 10%, I, I'd start to be worried. I'd be like, this is backwards. I don't care how Absolutely. virgin the birth was. This is backwards. It's so I agree with it's that, That's why, yeah, our arguments pile, pile up. Mm-hmm. And I just, everyone has their own perspective. Obviously, nobody is the owner of the truth. But in mm-hmm. my view, I put those mm-hmm. arguments pro and mm-hmm. against on a balance and I decide what I support. I'm not in love with Bitcoin. I fell in love with the concept of Bitcoin when I learned of it. I was mm-hmm. Bitcoin only, then I went into cryptocurrencies and then they disappointed me. And then I've, I I realized, hey, despite these cultist maxis, there are a bunch of arguments here that are mm-hmm. valuable and we might be able to scale this with soft forks and Lightning actually can make it work. I envision a, a version of Lightning that it's actually usable and good. Uh, we have the, the, you know, the, the, the initial, satoshi birth which is better than most of the birth he's probably gone so and you pile up all these arguments and mm-hmm. but i am fully aware that this cultist could get away with a fork and convince all exchanges with social pressure of listing their fork as bitcoin and then it'll be broken for me mm-hmm. you should never fall in love with you know any protocol or any tool just because the tool it's called something and you fill it up with the name of that something. If the tool stops being useful for what you want to do, 
or if it stops solving or meeting the necessities that you came along for, then it no longer works. And I think this is something very hard and very few people are capable of doing that. Yeah, that's the thing that I think is, um, I think it's kind of funny how uh, a lot, of course, is where I annoy all the, the Bitcoin cash and SV people who know me. But I, I almost think that like, if they had to call it something different, they would never would like it. They would never would make it a lot yeah. of them. And that, that for me, that's a little bit nonsensical. Like I don't like Bitcoin. Like, let's be honest. Bitcoin is a little bit of a goofy name, right? It's a little bit of a dumb nerd name. It's, it it's, is. it's nerdy. It's absolutely yeah. nerdy. And it's like, if pe we only uh, say all these great things about without like thinking we're silly because it's an established thing, but uh, it's the same kind of a thing. And the constant reevaluation of people's uh, priorities and what fits in, the tools that fit into the priorities kind of, you know, to me makes a lot of sense. Now, we go back to the very beginning concept of the stress test. Um, I think a lot of these priorities get, again, these are opinions, speculations, opinions with money, right? But a lot of that kind of gets, gets consolidated in, into facts based and reality with things like this. Other than that, I mean, we are f almost 15 years into the crypto industry, which is not a long time, but it is a long time. And it's, it's, I think it's way too long for there to be this much speculation and uncertainty. And so I welcome a lot more stress tests like this a lot quicker, a lot more frequently because I want, it's taking too long to find out. I want to find out sooner. I want, but do you think it's a it's a it's a very long time because you compared mm -hmm. to like the internet, for example, which was invented in the seventies? Mm -hmm. I mean, we all learned like normies actually learned and bought internet things like ninety five. It's twenty mm -hmm. years later, and even in ninety five, you could see it on the news. But come on, it's not really about two thousand five that everyone actually said. Oh, for example, I, I don't know how it was in the U.S., but in my case, I remember that before two thousand five. Mm -hmm. The concept of you having a personal computer at your home was the minority. Mm -hmm. People knew computers were useful, and that's why they have the cyber cafes, which mm -hmm. was these places with a lot of computers where you would rent a computer for an hour to send an email, to do a document, whatever you wanted to. And so the internet was invented in the 70s, and 30 years later, most people didn't think they needed one at home. And so I don't think 15 years is really that long for for something so radical as money yeah. to to find this new course i don't think it's too long i mean i don't think it's long i do think it's too long and just because okay. I'm, I'm impatient i guess and part of it is these time horizons are compressing because of the internet because the internet makes the information flow That's also true so much faster yeah. but also uh the thing is we're getting to the point where almost every government on the planet has a crypto strategy or an approach or a regulation they're trying to push or whatever. And almost no one uses crypto today. And I don't yeah. like those two things happening at the same time. I'd like us all to be using it day in and day out before yeah, they get a chance to do that kind of stuff. And yeah, I just, there's so much uncertainty. Like you see, obviously Bitcoin and Ethereum seem to have earned their place at the top, but I'm also very uncertain about their futures based on certain aspects and stuff. Like, for example, scaling is one of them, or scaling versus sustainability. I don't know if you ever saw my video I did on the um, the ticking time bomb, where basically high fees 
aren't oh, yeah. really healthy, but they're necessary. So what do we do? How is how are you going to pay for fees when the block reward goes away? How is it going to actually shake out? So that there's still too many questions. But then you go down the list. It's like tether. What the hell? Like it's it's a very practical tool, but it's like all the way up there. All these stable coins. I'm, I'm uploading a video about Tether today yeah. uh, uh, on a conversation about because, with, with, because that's another thing that doesn't make sense. Bitcoiners love Tether. And I'm like, what the fuck, bro? This is a <laughs> yeah. Tron, Algorand, Ethereum mm -hmm. token. It's it's like Bitcoin maxis say that the dollar is a shit coin and that cryptocurrencies are a shit coin. And they combine the two and now they love it. It's like, bro it's so ridiculous and so when you see the arguments is oh but people need stability well yes but you can say hey use tether to move money but don't hold it mm -hmm. and that's what happens in venezuela or for example i visited venezuela like two weeks ago mm -hmm. spent two weeks there and binance is the big winner in venezuela of, of adoption now, it's good because I, I can live with Bitcoin. I just send some Bitcoin to Binance and they pay everything with Binance Pay. So as a utility thing, it's useful to me, but I don't want to hold Tether. I don't want to have my money in Binance. It's mm -hmm. just a transient tool for the moment. And so you should talk about it in those terms. But no, you talk to yourself out of being a maximalist and you're promoting this shitcoin backed by another shitcoin on shitcoin blockchains according to your standards. It just it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, absolutely. It's so you go to like the top, like ranking of things, and like Doge is up there. And I get that Doge can be used for some things, but let's be yeah, honest, but... it's just it's like in a real world, there's nothing. It's just it's all a gamble coin, yeah. right? Then you have yeah. Pepe and you have Shiba. You have like all these other, yeah. and then all these networks no one's ever heard of, and it's still like most of the market. And then. Every time I hit gems, like Bitcoin and Ethereum are useful for things, like actually useful. And then anytime you hit anything else that's useful, it's always like dozens of places down or like way down. It's just yeah. like, and I'm I'm just waiting for that crunch to like compress all the value yeah. to where the useful ones pop up. And it doesn't even need to be my favorite useful ones because exactly all the whatever's ones, useful, all the ones I like could go to zero. But I just want something else to use. You know, I don't want to just, I'm not going to dump Zcash for yeah. Pepe, right? It's just not going to, I'm sorry. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I, I don't think how this is going to play out. I think that money is a concept that is so entrenched into people's psyche that it's going to take a long time for people to be willing to use, you know, something different. And I think one of the biggest problems here is the whole stability thing, mm -hmm. because people do think that the dollar is stable, mm -hmm. which isn't true. I mean, the dollar is stable in the short term, mm -hmm. but not in the long term. And people can recognize that, but they don't act accordingly. The dollar has tricked people because people who say, hey, the dollar is stable in the short term, but, but I acknowledge that it isn't in the long term, then those people would use the dollars to move value, but they, they wouldn't save in dollars. Mm -hmm. What do most of the world do for savings? They use a devaluating currency that's designed mm -hmm. to lose its value, and people use that for savings. What does that tell you about humans? It, it, 
it's a very difficult barrier to break. And I agree with you. And I do also have a sense of urgency. And my biggest threat is CBDCs. Because yeah. if Bitcoin wasn't created, private CBDCs, I mean, CBDCs are the dark enemy of crypto mm -hmm. and Bitcoin, you know? Of course. It's, it's like you can use the design of the blockchain, but now to create the surveillance coin and just have one central bank and you can move all these tokens in the central bank mm -hmm. only in now you don't need private banks and the government can own everything. It's like communist dictator's dream of money. And that to me is a more urgent thing because... These governments, as you say, are regulated stuff, but then Fedcoin and all the governments, you know, uh, flirting with CBDCs. And now they implement all this, they push it into people. And now this is the reality. So that gives me a sense of urgency. But at the same time, I have to understand human psychology. I mean, I have so many conversations with normies about this. Divorcing the concept of money as the dollar or whatever national currency for them. I mean, even here, I, I've said this before. In El Salvador, they changed currencies from colones to dollars 20 years ago, and people still think about things in colones. In Spain, is the same. When mm -hmm. they moved to the euro, I think the euro was introduced like in the 2000, 2001, or 98, something like that. Yeah, uh, I, I first uh, lived in France in 2004, and I okay. remember I could still could see priced in francs kind of things every once in a while. It, but like it was all in Euro, but once in a while it just gave a franc equivalent kind of thing. A franc equivalent, yeah. And, and in Spain is the same. Even right now, people talk about pesetas, which wow. was the Spanish discourse right now, uh, for things. Like, I think this is a generational thing. Like the generations for whom money was what it was are not going to change. And, and I can imagine this happened before. Like when, mm -hmm. when paper money was first introduced, I am a full believer that people died of old age opposing this paper bullshit money, you know? People who were used to their parents and grandparents using coin, you know, like actual, you know, copper, or silver, or gold coins, now being told, that, hey, you can change this for some paper crap. I believe those people never adopted the paper coin. Mm -hmm. I believe they died and the new generations adopted the paper coin. And so, yeah. unfortunately, that's how money works in, the, in people's psychology. It's going to take time. I wish it didn't, but some people are going to die uh, without ever, you know, with their fiat mindset. It's just humans. It is what it is. It definitely, I become a lot more amenable to that point of view, however, in a certain way when I understand that people are the way they are because this is what makes the human race survive. And people are adaptable and they're adaptable to reality. And it's kind of funny because it's like the bell curve meme where it's like the idiots and then the, yeah. always the people who know something and then the, the geniuses. The geniuses. And the geniuses and the idiots are saying a lot of the same thing sometimes. Yeah. And I like to dip into the, like, it's super obvious why um, the dollar is king is because <laughs> you can use it everywhere. Like everyone takes it. And the value, like what you can buy with it is relatively consistent compared to almost everything else. And like, I mean, obviously gold does well or something, but even that fluctuates and you can't use it for anything. Yeah. It's just, it's useless. Gold is kind of useless. Yeah, Crypto kind of. is, I mean, for people like me who've like figured it out, it's useful, but like for them, for most people it's useless. And then it's also, it's like, well, it went down 10% yesterday because 
some Elon Musk tweeted some or whatever it is. People in the now I, I can buy 10% less coffee today. It just, no, it's just, it's crap. And so the normie at that side of things is right. And one thing I've noticed is their shorter, the shorter time preference works, right? It works today. And today turns out into other todays. And it just, at some point today does turn into a tomorrow but a lot of times they figure out a way to switch over before it's too late. Not always yeah. though. Sometimes they end up Weimar Republic losing all their money and exactly sometimes. Yeah. And that's why, but then for the most part, people like us end up wasting a lot of time and money on things that just don't materialize. Cause oh, it's going to be useful yeah. someday. So are, are we the idiots or are they the idiots? I don't know. I don't have the answer. We don't, we don't know. And that's why I, I think it's important not to fall in love with things because mm -hmm. what I care about is liberty, my personal freedom, self-sovereignty, and my privacy. And mm -hmm. I will use whatever tools help me to achieve that. And this is a, a very good point that I wanted to talk to you about because you mm -hmm. also mentioned that you have your priorities and sometimes what you prioritize, one of your priorities pursuing that priority could go against your second priority while mm -hmm. you do that. And so, for example, with this whole, uh, as I live my life trying to achieve maximum liberty and privacy and stuff, mm -hmm. I find that privacy and liberty are often, you know, against each other. And so, mm -hmm. for example, let's say I value privacy on top of all things. And mm -hmm. so, I close my PayPal account because the surveillance, I don't want any bank to see what I do with my money and stuff. But then I realize that I want to buy something that I need for my personal freedom. I want to be able to buy it. And the only payment method they accept in what, I don't know, in Switzerland where they sell it is PayPal. And now my decision to have more privacy now goes against my personal freedom. I don't feel mm -hmm. free now to buy this thing because I don't have PayPal. And so a lot of decisions same thing happens like with phone OSs. I use Graphene OS on a Pixel, and I, it gives me a lot of privacy, but as I use it more and more, well, it's the same yeah. thing for me. And, and the more I use this thing, the more I realize that this is more of a privacy thing, privacy thing than a liberty thing, because mm -hmm. now this thing is so close to a lot of the things that I like, I cannot personalize it. I cannot you know, change all the colors that I want. I cannot change the design. And now this thing, is that it's acting against my personal freedom to do what I want with my phone. Mm -hmm. This is like a close thing that allows me to have a lot of privacy, but then I don't want, and so I also have a Samsung phone and I have all kinds of customizations there and, and themes and, and, and cool nerdy stuff that I do with it that I can't do here because it's not, and whenever I bring this up to the graphing community, they all come like cultists and shit on me and say <laughs> like, oh, you don't understand privacy. You don't understand the implications. If you change the, why would you change the colors of your phone and risk, you know, the government accessing all your information with this and that. I'm not ever Snowden, bro. You know, mm -hmm. and so you see this thing happening in real time, and you have to make conscious decisions on what your priorities are. Yeah, and unfortunately, you have to give up some of the things you like to get other of the things you like. Not always your priorities are going to be aligned. So yeah, which it is, is what it is. It's kind of funny to me where a lot of like the 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 privacy stuff. Since I've gotten heavily involved with the Zcash community. I know a lot of Zcash people who don't really spend it a lot. Who don't spend crypto a lot because of the privacy. They're like, oh, it's it can be traced, and then they go swipe their bank card instead. 
And, exactly. And some of that is like, you know, insane, but, uh, but some of that is also, okay, yeah, I get that, like, you want to keep your crypto life completely private, and you don't want to mingle the two because that deteriorates your private. Like, I get the privacy implications of, like, well, okay, well, as long as you have a bank account, at least only the bank knows that. They don't know anything about your crypto. But there's still different priorities because privacy is a, a privacy for me. Like that's the other thing about privacy for someone with a Deagle Good phone. I really do not care about privacy personally. I like, because I post everything on social media, you know, I, I don't hide who I am. I'm a really public, like genuine person to anyone I talk to anyone, but it's, it's for me, it's like a, it's the choice thing. It's the, um, it's the, the freedom thing. And freedom so thing, yeah. it's without privacy, you can't really have freedom. And so privacy does take a backseat to freedom if they are in conflict. And so the same thing is in probably I've, I've hit the point now where for me, sound money takes a backseat when it's necessary to self-sovereignty of like, Correct. if I need, like if I need to someone's permission to use my money, I'd rather have an inferior money and do that. And a lot of people are the opposite. They're like, well, I already pay taxes. I already report everything. I'm already in that situation. I'd rather just secure my own livelihood better long-term than, and I don't mind asking for permission here and there. It's like, okay, well, maybe not me, but that's at least we're on the same page, sort of, you know? Absolutely. You know, uh, all comes down to what your priorities are. And I, this led me to think about an example that I brought to someone mm-hmm. a while back about sound money, which is, mm-hmm. well, I recently made a series of videos where I did like a, a competition. Uh, I put it on my TikTok and on my Instagram. I, I did six parts, which is the six properties of money, you know, uh, divisibility, fungibility, uh, port- uh, portability, and, and all the, the six properties. And I made a scale of, Gold, silver, the dollar, the Venezuelan Bolivar, and Bitcoin, and, and and something silly like flowers. And then I ranked, you know, I gave like obviously uh, somewhat subjective takes of my opinion of what the score should be from one to ten on each coin. Uh, and then I added up all the scores, which could also be debatable. You could say they're not all equally proportional, mm-hmm. but I I put them all on the same level of priority and added up the scores and came up that Bitcoin was the best money out of all the ones that I listed. And so. But the funny thing is that I didn't give Bitcoin a 10 out of 10 in all categories. In no. fact, a lot of categories, it has a lot lower than that. So what I'm saying is there is an open you know, room here for improvement. And so in my view, I don't think a human-made cryptocurrency could potentially take over. But I think of things like what if humans find out that there's some subatomic particle out there, some form of neutrino or something like that. Yeah, you could encapsulate and you could... It was very scarce in the universe, but you can send it from one phone to the other at the speed of light because it's like a photon that you just send. And in some futuristic world, we figure out that this particle exists in the world. Now, this will become the new sound money, you know, mm-hmm. because it wasn't created by a person. You cannot censor it in any way. You, there's no questions about forks or whatever. It's just in nature. We just hadn't had the technology to figure it mm-hmm. out. And now this new neutrino particle is sound money and we move away from Bitcoin or whatever currency we're using right now. Could this happen 500 years from now, I think it's a possibility. And so, now, could. What if the real sound money was the friends we made along the way? 
<laughs> that, that might be a good way, place to wrap this yeah. thing up. We're going a little over two hours. Uh, it's chill o'clock. I don't know if you check the time, but that's the time. It's chill o'clock right now. Chill uh, o'clock. What, what do you want to show? What do you want to talk about or tell people to go look at? Well, uh, I've been uh, on this ecosystem since 2017. And over the years, I have created content, but specific to like my startups or companies or whatever mm -hmm. I'm doing. So, uh, I said, sin embargo, which is uh, nonetheless yeah. or yes. in, in Spanish. Uh, however, in December or November last year, I decided to actually start making consistent content. Mm -hmm. And so you can find me on YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok as Lorenzo Ray Bitcoin, and also on Twitter as Lorenzo Ray BTC. And I post daily content with regards to Bitcoin and self-sovereignty and liberty in general. And so I've done decently well. I, uh, I started with nothing on TikTok. I have uh, 18,000 followers right now. Uh, I've been posting every single day, so you can expect me to post at least one video a day uh, for the foreseeable future. And it's all in Spanish. I initially had this question, which should I post content in both languages? I think that segregated audiences and is bad for the algorithms and stuff. And so I only do bilingual on Twitter. On Instagram and TikTok, I only do Spanish content. I think there are a lot of people saying similar things to what I say in English. I think my voice was, was more valuable in Spanish, where there are less content creators in this space. And so my content is in Spanish. So if you're interested in Bitcoin content and liberty in general, uh, freedom, personal self-sovereignty content in Spanish, uh, you can follow me on at Lorenzo Ray Bitcoin and Lorenzo Ray BTC on Twitter. Yeah. So those are your handles just about everywhere. Yeah. All right. Fantastic. Well, oh, thanks everyone for watching. This has been a good, fun podcast. Uh, we were going to have a Zcash podcast today, but Zuko came up with some, uh, he had some personal issues to deal with. So that should be hopefully on the 26th. I'm in ETH Dam in Amsterdam next week. If you're in London or Dublin, I do have layovers around there. So if anyone's watching who wants to go meet up or something, maybe, I'll, maybe we'll have coffee or something. We'll see. Um, anyway, everyone, thanks for watching. Please hit the like button and subscribe on the way out. And um, I'll see you guys uh, not next week, but the following week. All right, peace.